Now this morning we come to the fifth uh, miracle that John uh, records in, in, in his book. Um, it is a familiar miracle. It is the walking on the water. Jesus walks on the water. Uh, this, this account is very short in John. We also have it in Matthew and we also have it in Mark. That gives us a little bit more information about the significance of it. In fact, what's very interesting is Matthew records Peter walking on the water. Uh, Mark, John, for, for whatever reason, uh, do not do that. So the question ends up being, as we come to our text, it's a very short text, uh, what is Mark wanting to, I mean, John wanting to convey to us this morning in these verses? What, why the timing of this event, this recorded in, in, in our text as well as uh, uh, Mark and Matthew? So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the, wa- on the sea, and coming near the boat, they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I... Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the, it was at the land to which they were going. This is God's word. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. You have recorded everything that we need to know for salvation. <clears throat> And for the life of faith, how we're to live. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came into the world and that you lived this gospel out before us. And so, Father, we ask today, especially for those who are deeply hurting this morning, those who are absolutely caught up in the storms of their problems, who are fearful, who are afraid. Father, we pray especially for those this morning that these words from our text, the sermon itself, would lift their heads up and they would know your presence. And we ask it in Christ's name. And for his sake, amen. I know you've heard many times it has been said that there are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. But I think they they need to add a third thing to that. There are three things in life, death, taxes, and tests. Would you agree with that? It seems like that life is filled with tests. If you're a student at Georgia, you have a lot of tests ahead of you. And the more uh, one progresses in their knowledge and the responsibility that the knowledge that you learn uh, gives you uh, to minister to others, 
uh, to be useful to society, then, then more, the more the testing. Uh, th- this is the reason that in every society, you have an educational system. So that we can determine uh, for society whether the person has mastered the subject. You go to college, you choose a major, and you'll be tested. And, and, and the test determines whether you've mastered the knowledge. You know, this is the reason that we have public graduations. This is the reason that we have diplomas that we hang on our wall. Uh, if you uh, are a physician... Uh, hopefully you have a, a diploma in your office that doesn't say Greenville Senior High School. And you go, hey, is there a little bit more information? Uh, I mean, you have a few more degrees on here? You might check out another doctor. And this is why it's so important, as it were, to society, because um, teachers are certified. They take tests. Excuse me, I'm trying to get my ears on here or the headset. It's kind of new for me. I feel like Garth Brooks, but anyhow. <clears throat> Teachers must uh, be certified to assure that our children, you're, if you're sending them to private school, uh, you want good teachers because uh, you want to make sure that your children gain the knowledge that they can take the test to get into the school. Uh, lawyers not only get, uh, graduate from law school, but they take boards to assure us that there will not be corruption in law, that laws will be followed, that the lawyer that you hire is a great mediator between you and someone else, or you and the law, or you and the government. Doctors are board certified to make sure that the patient is protected. And uh, I, I understand that doctors just keep taking tests throughout their, their career. To make sure that they are qualified to make sure that the patient is cared for. Financial planners are certified because you put your money in their hands and you need to know that they have been educated, that they understand not medicine, not law, they understand finances so that your investment is safe. So, this is why tests are inevitable in life. You understand that? Because it's important to all of us uh, that, that we can trust those who are certified in their areas so we can function. But the question is, does anybody here like to take tests? Anybody here like to take tests this morning? Oh, man, I can't wait to take my econ test. My organic test. I can't wait to be examined by a presbytery. And if you do, man, I think there's something wrong with you. But <laughs> you know, it's the reason I quit playing piano. You know, at the end of the year, you're playing piano, but you know, in May, you have got to perform in front of two or three hundred people. And what was worse for me is I have a brother who's been in the music business for 40 years 
And he was also in that recital. And so I quit because I got tired of showing what I didn't know. Boy, you ought to take up something other than the piano. Well, the disciples had a privilege of a three-year course. And it was imperative that they understood what Jesus was teaching them, what he was showing them, because not long after our text, these men would be sent out into the world, and through their preaching and their teaching, they would transform the world. And so it was very important that they got the gospel, that they understood the gospel, understood that, that the Christian faith is more than the knowledge of a gospel. But it's the gospel of grace and what unlocks our understanding of the gospel and the lens that we see life through is faith. You see? You can know all you want to about the gospel. You can grow up in the church and you can have knowledge and you can know the propositions and, and, and you can repeat the catechism. But without the gift of faith, it makes no sense. It is boring until the gift of faith comes. And it begins to make sense out of reality in the Christian life. So your faith has to be tested to be proved if what you believe is genuine. That your faith is genuine. As I thought about the sermon, I started thinking about how many people I know here doubting that. Life is hard. Uh, maybe your health's falling apart. Phil Brandon, one of our elders, will, has to get his test back on uh, the cancer that is there. Perhaps this week. Uh, life is good, you're on the placid waters, but uh, may, maybe you'll get that test. Maybe that headache will be you. Uh, some of you, I know without a doubt, because I'm your pastor, you're in situations in your marriage where you see no, no hope. No, it, it, it just seems like you're getting ready to sink to the bottom of the ocean because you've been married for 30 years and you're still like ships passing in the night. Is there any hope for this marriage? So I've got a Redeemer every week and I want to grasp it. But it just seems the more I learn, the more I despair. Maybe your investment went south. Maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend uh, that you went to high school with and, and uh, you knew you were going to marry, that, you know, she picked up the phone and called you, hey, listen, I, I, don't, I don't really think we need to go any further. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a loneliness that's so acute. Maybe it's because of his, it's a trial that it goes on and on and on and on and you are about to lose your faith. If, if you're in that position, there's got to be one or two of you. If there's only two of you, I, I want this sermon to speak to you. I want it to resonate with you because I want you to know that God is a God of grace and mercy and he loves his people. But sometimes he has to take us through these storms 
for our faith to be strengthened for those things in the future. It will be trials and tribulations. The essence of what I want us to see in our text is this. That it's in the testing of your faith that maybe you'll see God in ways you've never seen him before. I mean, you say, oh, man, I really want to know God. I want to get close to God. And God says, okay, well, come on, jump on. But, but faith says, I, I trust him. I will look to him in my circumstances. And so if you're just hanging on, maybe the reason that you're where you are is because God is wanting you to have a breakthrough in your life. Does that mean that your marriage is going to change? Not necessarily, but does it mean the way that you'll see your marriage will change? I think so. And so here's the three things I want us to look at as we, before we come to the Lord's Supper. I want us to see that our text teaches us that the testing of our faith is inevitable. If you have faith, it will be tested. And the second thing to see is that the testing of our faith is necessary. It's it's necessary maybe for you this morning to be where you have been for maybe months or maybe years. I don't know. And the last thing to see is this, that the testing of our faith actually will reveal the true object of your faith. What is the object? Everybody's got faith. Everybody's living by faith. If you're not here, if you're here today and you're not a believer, trust me, we'll look at this. But you are putting your faith in something. But let me ask you, how's that working for you? Maybe, maybe so far so good. Like my mother, she was the, a great uh, musician, a great soprano. But now she has dementia. And so if you build your life on, put your faith on anything other than the person of Christ who's the creator and redeemer. Um, Those things will fail you. And so the first thing to see is this. uh, The testing of our faith is inevitable. If you will look at verse 16. So when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, you know, when I study this text, I, I like to try to understand the background when I look at a text because I'm like, now, why is this text here? Be- because God does not waste any words. And so every aspect of the Bible, as you read the Bible, there's a reason that the Bible is there. If you ever read the book of Judges, you're going, wow, why is this here? And uh, so as so I'm sitting there looking at this text, I'm wondering why it's here in light of the previous miracle. Uh, the miracle that we said was uh, recorded in the other four Gospels. Remember this, the only miracle that was in the other four Gospels was what we looked at last week, which was the feeding of the 5,000. But remember that John said, he does not use the word miracles, he uses the word signs. The, the, the miracles aren't willy-nilly. And everybody's looking for their miracle. God's got a miracle for you this week. I remember when I, 
was in Africa a couple of years ago. I'm, I'll be going in October again. I'm teaching uh, uh, pastors theology. And, and many of the pastors that are there, most of them are actually Pentecostal, wonderful brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus Christ. But after I did some teaching, uh, one of the questions to me was, uh, do you believe in miracles? I said, of course I believe in miracles. <laughs> of course, they said, all right, so what, what miracle have you performed? But what miracle have you seen? And I said, oh, man. I've seen um, the most amazing miracle of all. And they said, what is that? And I said, I have seen hundreds of people rise from the dead. Of course, they're like, whoa. And I said, but but are you talking about the miracle of uh, like the hand, you know, the hand being healed or somebody's hearing being healed? And I said, well, those are very important miracles. Uh, and Jesus performed those miracles, but all those miracles are simply signs pointing to the greater miracle, and that is the miracle that Jesus Christ has come into the world to redeem sinners. And through his death on the cross, our sins have been transferred to him. And in exchange for that, he gives us the Holy Spirit to make us alive, to see all things that are new, the gift of faith. And that is the ultimate miracle. Everything is pointing to the finished work of Christ. And so Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And remember what we said last week? The, the people said, wow, maybe he is the great prophet. Maybe he is the one who is greater than Moses. That he is the son of David. And in the midst of almost getting it right, they were completely wrong. Because they were looking for a different Savior. You remember how we said that last week? They were looking for a different king. And so I was wondering to myself, well, then why is it that he doesn't go straight into the sign? And usually when he gives a sign, he gives a discourse. And what is a discourse? We're going to look at that in the next two or three weeks in John 6. That he's the bread of life. So, so why is this miracle here? Well, because... The crowd didn't understand it. They didn't know who he was. And so now he's going to test his disciples to see if they understood who he was. And so the difference as we move forward is the crowd moves on with their thoughts about who Jesus is coming to the other side of the lake that they're going to cross, waiting on Jesus so that maybe they can make him be the king that they want him to be. So... They're not on that boat. They kind of, as it were, failed the test. But our text tells us, in Mark, not our text, but in Mark, Mark tells us that Jesus ordered them on the boat. Yet You don't see it in our text, but it's important to see in Mark that Jesus put them on the boat. He wanted them there. He wanted them in the storm so he might test them to see what they understood. So the crowd nor the disciples truly understood who he was, what he came to do, his purpose for them. And so he tests them. 
Now, how does this test come? <clears throat> Let me tell you how the test of faith always comes. The test, of the Christian faith, is not, a, it's not multiple choice. It's not a test you take. You go to a Christian school, and they say, wow, you memorized the catechism. That's great. You have an A. <clears throat> you have an A in your understanding. Now, the true test is the test of faith in the person of Christ. And how does that test come? It always comes in providence. That's how God tests you. So you are in the midst of, of, of these incredible trials and everything that you think that you have learned about the gospel, everything that you think you have learned about Jesus Christ and the things that you can say, I believe, or maybe you're an elder or a deacon or maybe you're in the women's leadership and you've learned the Westminster Confession and you know the Bible well. But then the test comes and you begin to wonder about it all. Does God know my situation? Does God know that I'm hurting? Does he know? Does he know how lonely I am? Does he know how depressed and discouraged I've been year after year after year? And you're at the point that you're wondering if you can hold. I I, I really believe that's why God takes us uh, into the storms. So the testing of our faith is inevitable. If you're a Christian, God desires to prove the faith that you say you have is one that's from him, one that is genuine, one that enables us to know his presence in this life and live in his presence. That's the first thing. The testing of our faith is inevitable. The second thing to see is this, that the testing of our faith is necessary. It's necessary for our faith to be tested. And so where do we see this? We see this uh, in, the, in verse, uh, beginning verse 17. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Now, how are they doing in the storm? I, I thought, I, I, I was thinking about this because, you know, there was a previous storm. There's a storm in Mark chapter 4, right? You remember that? They'd already been in the storm with Jesus. And they'd seen him in the midst of the storm climb out of the stern of the boat and tell the waves to be calm. Uh, and to be still. And so it seems like, in many ways, I think they're doing a little bit better in the sense that at least they're rowing, right? They're getting on with it. doesn't say they're freaking out at this point, but it's getting tough. They've been rowing for six hours, and they've gone three miles, and the waves were getting worse. I've often wondered, did they, you remember, when the, 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 remember last week we looked at the 12 baskets that were, were still filled? I wonder if the baskets were in the boat. So maybe they had a visible sign. Maybe they're going, well, he's come through before. <clears throat> uh, but where is he? So, 
What is going on here? Why is it necessary for their uh, faith to be tested? Well, again, they were apostles. And one day they would rely on this event and a lot of other events in the future because their lives weren't going to get necessarily easier. They would have to draw upon all these things that God had done in space and time and history to rest upon because things got harder, like martyrdom. And so it's inevitable that our faith is tested because as we go through life, uh, if we put our faith and trust in anything other than the person and work of Christ, those things will give way. And they'll fail us. So what was it that they learned? What was it they learned? What can you learn from this? Well, the first thing that they learned is that Jesus always knows our situation. He knew their situation. Who's not unaware? You say, where do you get this from the text? Well, one, if he can walk on the water, then he probably knows their situation. But actually, Mark tells us this. And I want you to think about this. Mark tells us this, that, that Jesus, while he was praying, saw them. He's, he's talking to his father. Now, what do you think he's talking to his father about? Well, probably the first thing he's doing is going, Father, thank you for this amazing miracle today. That what you did. So he's praising his father. But then he begins to probably intercede for us. And I begin to wonder, I wonder if sometimes Jesus in his intercession, because you've got to remember he's a human being. As well as God. I wonder if he's saying, Father, they're out there on the boat. Uh, is it now time? And God says, No, you know, their faith has to be tested a little bit. Not yet. But Jesus was aware of their situation, and he's doing the will of the Father. But he's aware of what's going on in our lives. Jesus might not appear immediately, but but we know that he's there. He's ever making intercession. The Father knows. You know the hymn that puts it this way. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion... My constant friend is he, and y'all know this hymn, his eye is on the sparrow, surely his eye is on me. He knows. That's the first thing that they they learn, and of course they ultimately learn that later. (laughs) The second thing is this, uh, he is able to help us. Jesus, I don't know what your situation is, but I'm telling you, he knows. But the second thing is that he is able to help us. He not only knows, but he's able to do something about it. Now, I, you know, I like people to empathize for me, with me. or, or You know, I, I love sympathy. That's a wonderful thing. But I tend to like to go to people who can actually help me out. 
to say, hey, listen, this is what you ought to do. Here's the things you ought to do. I mean, I, I tend to be more of a coach. If you come to me for counseling, I'm probably going to coach. And say, hey, you can do this. And by the way, I, I, I don't think the other kind of counseling is not good. I'm just telling you, that's the way I operate. But the thing is that when you cry out to Jesus, he's there. You can't see him. He hears. But the amazing thing, our text teaches us, and the thing that you need to understand is that he is able to help you in your situation. What, today, this morning? I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe this sermon will help lift you up. But how does he help? Well, Hebrews tells us this about Jesus. Hebrews says that long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Do you believe that? The very storm, whatever is going on in your life, the things that you don't, that you wish weren't happening are the very things that he is ordaining and sustaining you in. And sometimes you have to just simply wait upon the Lord. You've ever heard that? Wait upon the Lord. Rest in his providence and what he is doing. Listen to him. Don't get ahead of him. If you're, in the, if you're in the despair, are you saying, Father, please speak to me? And then the, the third thing is that he is able to get us uh, through the storm. You, you notice uh, they see Jesus, and as soon as Jesus arrives, they receive him in the boat, they're immediately on the other side. I don't know if that's another miracle uh, that's there, but the fact is that whether it was the storm cleared and they got on the other side or whether it was immediately that they got on the other side, the fact is they got on the other side. <laughs> he is able to get us through the very things that he is putting us through. And again, you might say, but you have no idea what I'm going through. Well, well, well I don't, but I do know this, that whatever you are going through as God's people he is wanting to strengthen your faith because he loves you. He cares about you. That he will take you through whatever it is and you will make it to the other side. God is able to meet all your needs according to his riches. They're in Jesus Christ. You know, I know as a young man, when I first became a Christian, uh, <clears throat> life was great. I mean, my first year or two as a Christian was just great, the understanding grace and, and that I'm justified by faith. But somewhere along the line in there, within a couple of years, I had to learn that the Bible teaches that the just shall live by faith. It's not just a set of beliefs and the propositions and then what you realize about your faith and your trust in Christ, it gets obliterated when the realities come and all the propositions and doing RUF and going to Redeemer, they begin to shatter because we have put our faith in something else that can't get you through the other side. Jesus is able to get you through what you're going through. 
So the testing of our faith is inevitable. The testing of our faith is necessary. It's just necessary. And here's the last thing to see is this before we come to the Lord's table. The testing of our faith reveals the true object of our faith. Now, again, can, can, we, can, can we all admit that we're living by faith? That if you're not a Christian, you're putting your faith in something. You're putting your faith in something. You're putting it in science, even though the science has changed. Uh, are you putting it in reason, even though reason has certain presuppositions that you have to reason with? But we're all putting our faith in something. And so the reason the tests come in our lives, the reason God brings these things in our life, is to truly, for us to truly understand the object of our faith. What is the object of our faith? You say, where do you see this? Well, notice it says this uh, in verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I... Do not be afraid. So in the midst of their fear, in the midst of the storm, and they're trusting in their rowing, and they're trusting in their present situation, they they see Jesus. Now here's what's important about this. That in the section before this, We see Jesus is greater than Moses and that he was able, like Moses fed the children manna in the wilderness, he was able to feed the 5,000 with five fishes, I mean the five loaves and the two fishes. But now he sees Jesus, now they see Jesus walking on the water. That he is the Lord of the sea. He walks upon the storm of the sea because he's the creator. That's why they had the sea. The other saw the sign of the manna. But now they see a Moses, greater than Moses, who divided the Red Sea, that he is the Lord of the sea. So they discovered the object of the faith. And when Jesus uh, says to them, it is I, it is I, I am. He's basically, in the, in the Greek, it, 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 it's, it's the same name that Moses, God gave to Moses. When Moses said, who are you? And he says, I am. So you see, the inevitably, inevitability of our, our, of our trials and our difficulties help us see God in ways that we have never seen him before. Now, as we come to the conclusion here, let me say this. Anything that is not looking, any faith that looks not to Christ, does, does not look to Christ, is, is, an, is an idol. It's the things that won't satisfy. If it's beauty, like you spend most of your time thinking about, I just, you know, you put your, all your eggs in that basket. If I could only be more beautiful. You know what? The storm of aging will take away your beauty. Uh, if it's a career, I mean, how, how many of you put your whole stock in a career and you get toward the end of your life and you realize, you know, I wish I'd never done this. Or maybe your career begins to fall apart because you're accused falsely at work or whatever it may be. And that which sustained you no longer sustains you. If it's money, when the storms of failed investments come, you'll be mortified. 
of his ease and comfort. I'm just, you know, I just have a good time this Sunday afternoon. I, I want to have the good life. Then what happens when the storms of illness inevitably come and they take those things away? You see, the testing reveals the object of your faith. Now, if you're in the midst of the storm, here, here, here's what God wants you to understand. He wants you to understand that he's there. And that in due time, he will meet you when it is time to meet you. He is there to strengthen your faith. Now, why is it that we can trust in him? Why is it that we can, you know, look at the scriptures and say, well, I don't see what you're doing in my life, but I do know that you care for me. I do know that you you love me, and I trust you. Let me tell you why you can. It's because Jesus... Though he's walking on the water, and in Mark chapter 4, he gets on the boat, and he tells the storm to calm down, to be still, and it's still. That was not hard for him to do, because you see, he is performing out of his deity. He can tell the storm to stop. But let me tell you, Jesus himself had to learn to live by faith in God's word and God's promises. Why? Why? Because he's also a human being. Do you, do you understand that? Do you, do you see the pattern in Christ's life? That he, before he came to the cross, he had to learn obedience as a son. That the father is disciplining him, not because he hates him, but because he loves him. But there's this task that he has. And that task is for us. And let me tell you what those storms in the sea always represented. It always represented to the, to the ancient mind the absolute chaos. And you know what? He had to live by faith when he was plunged into the sea of our sin on the cross. And you see, when he was in, uh, when he was uh, like Jonah thrown into the sea, he was not... He was not saved. He, the, the, God didn't send a well. On the cross, he's there and he's alone because of our sin. And so we can trust him because he lived by faith and gave himself for us so that we might have life and have it eternally. Now, what is the object of your faith today? If you're not a Christian, you're putting it in something. But, but whatever that is, whatever it is you're putting your faith in, it can't save you from your ultimate problem, which is your sin. You can't atone for your sin. And so Jesus says, come to me by faith and trust in me, and I will save you. And for you who are believers this morning, I don't know what your situation is, but God has you where he wants you. And he will meet all your needs in due time according to his riches that are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you that you're a, a God who's actively involved in this world, in our lives. You're not a theory. You're not a, um, you're not a concept. You're the true and living God. And we thank you that you've entered into this world through the person of your Son, the living God, 
born of a virgin, to be disciplined, to, to live, to learn to live by faith so that he might be the substitute for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your mercies and your grace that is revealed in the person and work of Christ. And, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who um, need their heads lifted up. Lord, would you lift them up? Would you cause them to know that this week, no matter what their circumstances, that the real key is to have you, not the storm subside, but to have you. And I pray that they would even experience that this morning as we come to communion. So Lord, would you work this morning to give us greater faith to trust in you. And Father, for those who don't know you this morning, Father, I pray that you would uh, cause them to see the things they put their trust in are really ultimately not working. And that they can come to a Savior who loves them unconditionally. And that they will put their faith and trust in Him. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.